Howdy. Howdy. Are you ready? I'm ready. Let's do this. Where should we begin today? Let us begin with surveillance capitalism. I sent you that link with the interview with Harvard professor Shoshana Zuboff. This is episode number 35. Hello, this is legendary voice Alvin Shee. It's another Friday before sunset, so please sit back or lay back and enjoy a breath of life for the next 17 minutes with your host, my friend, LaFool and A. The documentary was about 50 minutes long, but it took me like almost three hours to get through the whole thing. Like she would say something and I was like, what? And I didn't really grasp it. So I have to stop and look up to try to get a better understanding of what she's been talking about. And a, a lot of this I've heard before, but she repackaged it in a much simpler form. A lot of what she was saying, we're aware of and we see it, but we really didn't grasp it. Like I, I didn't get until I saw her documentary that the thing about the Pokemon. Right. How basically it was a psyops, a psyops done by a private company for marketing purposes and everybody was in on it. Did you do Pokemon Go? No, I didn't. I, I knew it was a psyop. <laughs> I didn't either. I was like, I don't know about this. This seems too convenient somehow. And I stayed away from it. You know, there was some fear of being left out happening there. But I was like, I don't really know what's going on here. So I'm just going to wait and see what happens. And I'm glad I did. It was designed to put fear in you. If you don't get in, you'll be left out. Exactly. That part even worked on me. I was like, mm, what do you? What actually stopped me from doing it was the fact that it was Pokemon. She didn't mention this, but in the 90s, I think it was in Japan, there was a series called Pokemon. And I don't know if it's the same one. This one was by Nintendo. This is all the same thing. Pokemon still is trading cards and a series and, and all kinds of stuff. Google was smart enough to say, hey, we want to run this big psyop. Let's make it fun. Nobody wants to play a Google game, but I bet they'll play Pokemon. Yeah. So Google distanced themselves from this. They set up a shell company and they're the ones that actually ran this. Do you remember what happened in the 90s with it in Japan? With the animated show? Yeah, it was like episode number 38 in the first season. What ended up happening was a bunch of kids went into seizures all across Japan. It's from the strobe lights. So that's just when that was starting to come out, when people were like, hey, when there's a lot of flashing lights, I get a seizure. I don't know that Pokemon knew. Why would the animated series want to send a bunch of kids into epileptic seizure? They wanted to see if this worked. Everybody already knew that if there was a lot of flashing lights in your world, you were probably going to feel kind of weird. And if you were predisposed to a seizure, you were probably going to have a seizure. I don't think that they were testing it. That was my first thing. Like, I'm not messing with those Pokemon. That's still fresh in my brain. And I remember when it was all happening as far as like people going to stores and looking for, and somebody once told me they went to a Starbucks. Yeah, a lot of them did. And they also bought Starbucks while they were there. Yeah, well, that's the part that makes this kind of weird. Yeah, no, you go there <laughs> and you buy stuff. And that's what they were testing with Pokemon Go. Can we get people into a location and get them to buy the thing. I think what she called it was footfalls. So instead of click-throughs, it's footfalls. 
we can deliver the actual warm human body to your location and they are very likely to buy whatever it is that's in your location, which is some fantastic algorithms because you can't just send everybody to Starbucks all at once. You got to be able to segregate them out and figure out who is more likely to buy at Starbucks or who is more likely to buy at Ben and Jerry's, although I doubt Ben and Jerry's got involved. I would hope they wouldn't. Or Jamba Juice or McDonald's. Are you more likely to buy something at McDonald's or are you more likely to buy something at Starbucks? They probably would have sent me to Starbucks. They might have sent you to Taco Bell. Yes. And that's what <laughs> right. That's what she said in the documentary. They gather all this information on you. And even though they talk about preserving your privacy, there's this little throwaway pieces of information, which they kept. And those throwaway pieces of information are actually the more important pieces of info. So we're all here thinking, oh, you know, I give Facebook the right to look at my photos and tag me, facial recognize me. But what we didn't know at the time was that they were using that to build models that could scale up and facial recognize billions of people. Those models and that learning was then sold to surveillance companies, to governments, to military which then I think she used an example, the Chinese military uses that very facial recognition to track and basically imprison the Muslim Uyghurs in their nation Yes, without actually having to put them behind bars because they're monitored 24-7. Right. All the while, quote unquote, maintaining my privacy because it's not my face that's actually being sold to the Chinese military. It's the data points that they got off of my face that taught their system how to recognize different kinds of faces for different purposes. It's fucking crazy. A lot of what she was saying touched on other stuff that I've been aware of. Like the facial recognition portion really didn't come in until 2006 and seven. And I remember being in Southern California working for a company they were headhunters for software companies. And I was talking to one of these guys, these companies, he says, we used to do a lot of civilian acquisition stuff, but everything we do now is for the military. Almost all of it's for the military. So the industry has really changed a lot. Right. He was with a company that had come up with facial recognition software, and they tried to sell it to the U.S. military, and the U.S. military didn't want it. So they sold it to China. We bought it back now, now that it's been successful, but China took it first, and they were quite excited to use it. But before that, this data collection wasn't even about facial recognition. It was about pattern identification. And that's what she talks about. And it started for marketing purposes. Everything starts with the military. The military had it first. The military discarded it. Small companies picked it up to use it for marketing purposes. There's a story that I've known about that she scrapes upon, but she doesn't really talk about it. It's in some of her other stuff. The U.S. government was approached after 9-11 There's a company that was trying to say, we predicted this as far back as 1996, and that's in the 9-11 commission reports. This was all about pattern recognition. That company disappeared. Their files disappeared. You can find traces of it, but it's not the company. The company ended up working for the CIA and the NSA and the Pentagon. So this company came to the U.S. government post 9-11 and said, we could have told you that this was going to happen. 15 minutes after the attacks happened, they said, this is the list of people that we believe were involved in that. Everybody involved was on the list plus additional six guys or so. Each one had a different reason why they weren't there. Accident, one was in jail, so on and so on. But they pretty much nailed it. Some of it was the Manhattan cell. And the U.S. government doesn't want us to know about this. 
in my opinion, because a lot of them were Saudis. All that stuff disappeared. But that's not my point. My point was that they have been planning to use this for marketing purposes to predict patterns for buying. This is in the 90s. They brought it to the military before and they're like, we're not interested in this. The price is too much. After 9-11, they came right back and says, these are the guys. And the U.S. military picked it up, started the program again. Got it. Okay. After 9-11 happened, this new pattern developed, and that is the CIA, DIA, SOCOM, none of these organizations are working with private companies like Google, and they take these ideas and bring them to these companies. These companies, Google and that stuff, separate themselves with a shell company to try these out. We didn't talk about this before, but I'm very curious now after listening to what she had to say. I wonder about this whole QAnon thing might somehow also be connected to all of this. So you think QAnon could be a PSYOP that got started within the U.S. or perhaps another government that then got shuttled out to a public or private company, but something that wasn't governmental that may or may not have known what they were being asked to get started? What are you saying? This is just speculation, but I think this was as in-house as it gets. I think that the U.S. government actually had a company, one of these CIA-backed shell companies. They were the ones that actually started this whole QAnon thing for a reason. It's almost like the Pokemon Go. Can we get them to attack here? Can we convince them to attack here? This would not only be the biggest slaps ever performed, it would have to have much deeper meaning because it was a success. Now, it was a failure in the sense that someone got shot. I think they knew there was a risk, but they do a risk assessment. And in that risk assessment, it probably said as many as 10 people can die. And they considered it was a gain because only five died. I think it's an interesting speculation. I haven't looked into that, right? I haven't looked to see sort of what clues might be there to tell us that, oh, that was done perhaps by the Chinese or by the U.S. government itself or by the Russians or perhaps by a political party. It's interesting, but how do you track something like that down? It's all speculation, just like so many other things that have been problematic, including QAnon, which is all speculation, right? Like, let's just make some stuff up and get people to believe it. It's a really fine line to try to traverse without actually starting another conspiracy theory, which I think is the last thing the United States needs right now. I'm just planting a seed for right now, which we can water later on. But all I'm going to say about it that we know for sure is it was a success. For example, if the Chinese did it, it doesn't make sense because if you're going to do this, you're not going to make yourself the bad guy. The Chinese wouldn't say, hey, let's make Americans hate us even more. Would the Russians do it? Russians would be taking a major chance. Like Iran wouldn't do it. This would lead to an act of war. So who could do it and get away with it? We could do it on ourselves. Why? It's really just to see if it works. If they do it again on another country, it's going to be so profound and so overwhelming. Thousands will die. So let's say that the United States did it. Wouldn't you start outside the country and test it with a smaller nation versus hurting your own citizens? Like, why would you keep something like that in-house? You can't monitor it as well outside of the nation. You need to be able to monitor this and see exactly what happens. You can't control it in case it gets out of control. Okay. And again, you have to gear it so that it has a positive effect. <laughs> Who was sitting in the Oval Office during this entire time? Who was the one person that was like, I've never heard of Q? Hmm, it's kind of interesting, but they seem to like me. It's Occam's razor. The obvious answer. Who was the one person that they were like, this is shall be around? Oh, me? A little old me? <laughs> 
All right. I could buy into that. So then let me ask you this. Is it possible that there was an engineering effort to actually get the former president, a lot of the QAnon folks, sort of thrown off of social, cancel cultured out of Twitter and Facebook and YouTube, right? Because then it lets them set up their own network where the same algorithms are now going to be able to direct those people like automatons and get them to do things that they might not otherwise do. Exactly. And also when they go off grid, we can monitor it because it's us. Right. Hey, sir, guess what we got? We got a new secret. If that had been North Korea, we'd be screwed. If it had been Iran, we'd be really screwed. If it had been Venezuela, we'd be really screwed. If it had been Russians, we'd be extremely screwed. If it had been Chinese, we'd be done for because we wouldn't know what they were doing. We have no way to monitor it. Now it's in-house in his hip pocket. He's the center of it. It's all around him. They bring him all the, we got a brand new thing. It's called Telegram. What? What? You need to make sure that this thing works so that if it's broken, the enemy can't take it, back engineer it, and use it against us. Plus, who would ever suspect that you would use it on your own people? Like That would be crazy, right? Yeah, kind of like uh, 10 other things that we've done in the last 100 years to various populations. That's just my take on it. I think the Japanese kind of came up with the idea of, hey, you know, this thing can cause seizures. You're talking about two different things. A visual animation program that had a lot of flashing lights, right? That's not at all the same as the Pokemon Go game that people were running around chasing after and trying to catch the virtual Pokemons. I see similarities. I'll tell you why. We only are scraping the tip of the iceberg on what Pokemon Go ended up being. We know for sure that it, it made you go to certain locations and buy certain things and it changed behavior. So one had a physical reaction to you, which they now have mastered. If this goes too far, they can simply tell you, watch the screen, everybody. <laughs> We all have seizures. Only if you're on those networks. If you're on those networks and you have a seizure, they know that you're a problem. Like, like why were you watching this? And that's the thing about it. It wouldn't happen on CNN. It wouldn't happen on Fox. It might happen on Breitbart. It might happen on OAN. It might happen on some far right station where they need to get rid of these people. And so the ones watching it get timed out. They can already pull that trigger. Number one. Number two. They need to get you to go to a certain location at a certain time, where we'll say on January 6th to the middle of the Capitol. The ones that actually make it, those are the ones. We're assuming they're putting these people away. We have no idea what they're going to do with them. They might end up saying, you're perfect. You're what we're looking for. And who is this they? Are you talking about the government? Or are you talking about a shadow government? Are you talking about the military? There's a lot of they that I don't know who you're talking about. That's the thing about it. We don't know who they is. That's even a bigger problem. If we knew who they was, we would know who Q was. Okay. So we don't. True that. But getting back to her episode, what she's talking about is terrifying surveillance capitalism. I mean, we can go on forever on just that subject matter. It's not only all around us, but the biggest problem is what are we going to do to combat it? You're right. That is a whole nother discussion. I think folks should definitely watch it. I think it's only, what, 40, 45 minutes. Well worth the time. I don't know if very many people watch The Social Dilemma on Netflix, which covered some of the same issues in sort of a funky doodle way. And it kind of got watered down by some of what they did in that docudrama. But I think this shorter discussion with a woman who is pretty much dedicated the last 20 years of her life to investigating this kind of thing from an 
academic and scientific perspective is really interesting. And it gives a place for people to really jump off into, well, how do they want to protect themselves? What is their responsibility? To even ask themselves, like, do I even have free will anymore? It's very questionable whether or not we actually have free will. That again, so a conversation within itself. Bye. Ciao. Please like us on Facebook at facebook.com slash 17 minutes podcast. If you're enjoying this show, please share it with your friends and family. This podcast wouldn't be possible without the support of our sponsors. They're listed on our website and social media. Check them out. Have a blessed Sabbath. Shabbat Shalom.